Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I'm happy that you've joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. and he's saying it's not just about me it's about the church again probably this guy was opposing Paul's apostolic authority because as you read on in this in this book you find out that there are those people that are saying that Paul is not a true apostle in fact Paul in his weakness and Paul in all these things that don't all these troubles that he gets into how can he truly be an apostle of Jesus Christ how, how is he really walking in power so those things must speak of his weakness and if they're speaking of weakness then it means that he's not a true apostle and so there's the attack by this person and when he wrote that letter that severe letter that painful letter he had written that they should deal with this person and he says this pain this attack was not just or this pain was not just on me but it was also on all of you did you know my friend that when we attack church leaders we are actually attacking the church when we attack the church leaders we are actually are attacking the church because the church leaders have been put there by the head of the church who is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ thinks of the church as his body and so to attack a member of his body or the leader of a member of his body, you are also attacking the body itself. Watch verse number six. It says that uh, for such a one, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Right. Again, it looks like that when Paul had written, he had told these people that they should punish that person. That they should discipline that person. See, the church of Jesus Christ is a holy church. The church is holy because Jesus is holy. And so the church cannot entertain sin. Now obviously, uh, there is sin in the church. I mean, Christians are not sinless, right? Christians sinless. <laughs> Christians are not sinless. There's always a measure of sin in our lives. Why? Because we're still living in a fallen world, number one. And then number two, our bodies have not been saved. What has been saved is our spirits, isn't it? And so we struggle with things in our bodies. Even if we're not to struggle with anything in our bodies, we we'll still struggle with the world which is fallen. Like Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. So even if I had clean lips, but I live amongst the people of unclean lips, they'll still mess me up. So Christianity does not teach that once you become born again, then you become sinless perfect. No, your sinlessness, your perfection is really in Christ. Your righteousness is a righteousness that's just been imputed to you. That's just been passed on to you and it is based on the righteousness of Jesus. And so then, when there is sin in the church, and a sin which is of a big nature, of a great nature, the church must punish that, especially when it is public sin. And so this man had slandered Paul publicly. He had slandered the authority in the church publicly, and so he needed to be dealt with. And so they had put this person on punishment. Right? But watch what Paul is saying again. Verse number six, for such a one, this punishment by, by the majority is enough. So you should rather 
turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So the church does not only deal with the punishment, with the discipline as it is usually called, but it also deals with restoration. In fact, the whole idea of punishment is restoration. Here at Kairos, we, we like to use the word restoration as opposed to punishment. Because punishment has this negative connotation that, listen, we're just here, in fact, as opposed to discipline, I'm sorry. Because discipline has this idea, especially in our culture, that, you know, it's just about punishing you and end of story. No, 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 no. no. The, the discipline in the church, the punishment in, this, in the church is so that somebody can be restored. Who's the person that can be restored? It's the person that is repentant. So notice it says here in that verse number 7, it says that this person is uh, may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. In other words, this person is sorrowful. This person feels sorry for what they have done. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes people wrong you and they're not even sorry, right? Or when they do say, I'm sorry, they say stuff like, look, if I wronged you, I'm sorry. That's not a sorry you should accept. That person is not really sorry. Because if he cannot pinpoint what it is that he has done wrong, then he's not sorry. He doesn't even know what he's done wrong. She doesn't even know what she has done wrong, right? And so it's only the person that can come up and say, I did such such a thing to you. It was wrong. I am sorry. That's a person who's really sorry. And so this person was truly sorry. And so Paul is saying, if you're going to elongate this discipline, if you're going to make this punishment any longer, you're going to crush this person. Because this person is truly repentant and this person needs to be restored. So watch what Paul says next. Verse number 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. So he says again that, look, uh, you, you should restore this guy. You should restore this guy, and then you should reaffirm your love for him. Because when you restore this guy, you're going to reaffirm. You're going to, to, to confirm publicly that this person you have accepted back. Here's what it means. It means that when people are publicly punished or disciplined, they should also be publicly welcomed back. Now, as churches, we don't really do a good job of that, isn't it? Right? But that's what it means. It means that when somebody has been publicly disciplined, and they're coming back into the fold, or in their serving their punishment, whatever it was, they should be also publicly reaffirmed. The word that is used for reaffirm there was one that was used of confirming a verdict. It's a legal term. Confirming a verdict that, okay, this is what is going to happen. This one is going to be hung until they're dead, 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 dead. And they'll do it publicly. And so the very same thing, there should be the reaffirmation of the love for this person very publicly. And watch, Paul is saying, I did this, I wrote, so that I may, I may test you. I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. So he wrote them to say, listen, uh, brother so-and-so what he did really calls for you that you should punish him and that you should do it like this like this and Paul says when I was writing that I was testing you I was testing to see if you're obedient in everything 
Church, did you know that you as a member of the church are really supposed to be obedient to the authorities in the church? Hallelujah. Should, the, should Messi be obedient to the coach? Should Messi... I think when I say Messi, everybody wakes up and knows what I'm talking about. You know, the, the soccer player, should he be obedient to the coach? Does Messi have the play for the game? Who comes up with the play for the game? Coach, not Messi. So even no matter how talented Messi is, but he can never come up with the play for the game because he's not the coach, isn't it? And so Messi, no matter how talented he is, must listen to the coach. Because not to listen to the coach is not only to be obedient, but you will lose the game. Because everybody will be doing their own thing, isn't it? But what's the play? That's the very same thing here. Paul is saying, I was testing you to see if you're obedient in everything. Did you know that many of us, our obedience is a buffet obedience? You know a buffet where you have all different kinds of food? Say, oh, luncheon, the lunch buffet at uh, Crystal Hotel. Come, it's 10,000 kwacha every Sunday. And they have a buffet. So you choose. Mm-mm. I don't like eggplants. Don't eat that stuff. I'm not going to eat that. I like that. I like that. I don't like that. That's not the kind of obedience that's expected in the church. It's not the kind of obedience that God expects you to have. Where you pick and choose what it is that you're going to be obedient to. No. Oh. Paul says, I was testing you to check if you're obedient in everything. Now, obedience to Paul is obedience to God. Remember Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In fact, God, you don't see. Who has ever seen God here? Okay, nobody. How can you love God whom you don't see? And the Bible says in in John, it says, if you hate your brother, how can you say that you love God when you hate your brother? Your brother you see, God you do not see, isn't it? So in other words, there are those that you would obey down here, that would be a representation of the obedience to God. Hallelujah. See, 2 Corinthians is about apostolic authority. That's the other thing about 2 Corinthians. Corinthians, it's about the authority of the leaders in the church as well. And the expectation of what the members ought to be doing. If there is no obedience, there is no cohesion in the church. There is no movement forward. Hallelujah. So there must be the point at which there is obedience, at which there is understanding that, oh, this is what God has said that we should do, and then we can move forward. That's where now Paul says in verse number 10, he says, anyone... Whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So notice now, the church is a forgiving community. This person has done wrong. They have served the discipline. Now, let's bring them in. Some people would say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, let him, let him stay another year. Let him stay another year. Because this person is not really repentant. Did you know it's so hard to say how long somebody should stay on a particular discipline before they repent? 
So we can say, oh, listen, you have done such, such a thing. Then you are not going to serve for a year. Uh, it could be. But you know, it could be that after the rebuke, the person really has come at a point of saying, you know, I have sinned, I have done wrong. So at that point in time, what do you do? Do you say, no, no, we said a year, so a year it must be. It's hard. So even though we do say, when you do such, such a thing, a public sin, here is how much time we're going to ask you that you should step off from ministry and get your life together. We're going to be counseling you. But in reality, in the truthfulness of all things, we can never really truly pinpoint a time period. Because it could be that the moment that we talk to you, the moment we put you on discipline is the moment that you repented. And so then, what this calls for is forgiveness. And so Paul says, listen, forgive that person. Forgive that person. Uh, and I'm forgiving based on your forgivingness. Because Paul is not at this church. Paul is at Ephesus when he's writing this. And so Paul is using the authority, the authorities in the church, to bring about the decision or the, the, the losing this person from this particular punishment. Now here's something we should know. The local church has a leadership to which even those that are say apostles and prophets, in a sense they cooperate with. They cooperate with, especially when that local church has become mature in its leadership. And so Paul says that, listen, I'm, I have forgiven them. Uh, you have forgiven them. I have forgiven them. And, you know, uh, let's, let's not allow Satan to deceive us. Interestingly, the word that Paul uses for forgive here is different from the word that you find in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins and as we forgive those that, uh, we, uh, that sin against us. There, the word that is used there is more like to, to um, forgive us in forgiving a debt. Here, it's a word that is connected to grace. Grace is charis. So probably a friend called Carissa, right? Carissa is grace, right? And so here, he, he's asking them that you should charizomai. You, you, you should forgive them. You should bring grace to come upon that situation. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not exacting something from somebody because of what they did. In spite of what they did, you're saying, I forgive you. And he says, watch, we should be careful. Because we can be outwitted by Satan. Literally, Satan can end up taking advantage, can end up having more. How can Satan take advantage of our non-forgiveness? Well, we are a community that is bound by love, isn't it? And so if we prolong this punishment, if now it becomes vindictiveness and, and trying to get back at that person, then the bond of love is loosed amongst us. And so Satan would have outwitted us. And he says, we're not ignorant of his devices. Or we're not ignorant of his plans. See, Satan wants to bring discord in a church. Sometimes the attacks of Satan are attacks that are not, front, are not frontal. It doesn't come up front like that. But it's just in the way that we deal with each other. The way that we do not love each other. The way that we talk bad things about each other. That's the enemy at play. 
Because he knows when, when there's all these gossips and all these things, there is discord. And when there's discord, we can never do stuff together. Because we'll be avoiding each other, isn't it? I don't want to do outreach to that person. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that cell because in that cell there's so and so. Satan is cheating us. And so what is the solution? The solution is forgive. Forgive. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 32. He says we should forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. Is there something that somebody can do to you that you can never forgive? No. No. No, 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 no. We are called to forgive. We are a forgiving community. If we do not forgive, guess what? The enemy is going to have his way in us. Again, Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 26. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, he says. Neither give ye a place, a foothold to the enemy. In other words, it seems Paul is saying, it's one sentence actually. He seems to be saying... That when you're angry and the sun goes down on your anger, you actually give the devil a foothold. That unresolved issue that you don't want to talk about or you don't feel like, oh, it's a small thing, I shouldn't talk about it. It grows and it grows and it grows and can come at a point that it's hatred. And guess what? You have given a foothold to the enemy. Not only would you have given a foothold to the enemy, but guess what? Your relationship with God is not going to go anywhere. Because again, in the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. So not to forgive is to set yourself to fall. Not only will the enemy come there, but God will not have anything to do with your situation. Because you are not forgiving as you have been forgiven by Christ. I mean by God in Christ Jesus. Oh, many of us are not moving forward in our lives. And part of the reason is because we just have too many grudges. We're just angry with too many people. We just have, we just have too many loose ends with our relationships. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to go back. I want you to bring forgiveness in those relationships. When you bring forgiveness in those relationships, then I will start dealing with you. Could it be, my friend, that the situation that you find yourself in could actually be that it's a spiritual issue of lack of forgiveness. Could it be it's lack of forgiveness? Could it be that there are people in your life that you say, I'll never talk to so-and-so. But pastor, you know, forgive. If I forgive this one, he's going to do it again. Well, you bring us into the realm where... You know, Peter asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. In other words, you keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Listen, forgiveness is part and parcel of our lives. A relationship where there is no forgiveness is doomed. A relationship where there is no forgiveness is doomed. A marriage where there is no forgiveness, it's doomed. A friendship where there is no forgiveness, it's doomed. To be part of the winning team, you must understand that the winning team is characterized by being a forgiving team, number one. Number two, the winning team 
is a team that is a familial team. Not familiar, but familial, like family. Listen, you need a bunch of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to be on your side to do what God has called you to do. And you know that's what the church is? The church is called the family of God, the household of God, isn't it? Right? Now Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 1, or is it chapter number 2, he says that we are built, we are, we are the household of God, and we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That will help you to fight. When I came to Troy, of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus. Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So remember again, Paul has written this letter with Titus to go to Corinth. And he has agreed with Titus that, listen, let's meet at a place called Troas. Right? So Titus is going to be coming from Corinth and probably passing through Macedonia. And then they'll meet somewhere in Troas. It's called Alexandrian Troas. So that's where they had planned that they were going to meet. But then something happens. Paul, first of all, when he gets to Troas, he finds there's an open door for him. In other words, that the, it, it was like the Lord had confirmed to him that this is the place to preach. In fact, in Acts chapter number 16, we hear of another instance when Paul was actually in Troas. And he had wanted to go to, to Bithynia to preach there, but he had a vision, he had a dream. And the man of Macedonia, uh, in his dream, had said to him, come and help us over here in Macedonia. And so, seeing that he had an open door, he moved there to Macedonia. And so here too, there is an open door. Here too, there's confirmation from God that I want you to preach the word here. But notice what happens. He feels constrained in his spirit. In his spirit, he didn't have any peace. He says, my spirit, verse number 13, was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So he had no rest inside him. He, he felt restless. Yes, there's an open door. And remember again, Paul is very gung-ho about the gospel, isn't it? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, I, 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 every time I, I find an opportunity, I share the gospel. I have become all things to all men so that I can win some as many as possible. Right? But here he feels a constraint in his spirit. Why? Because when he gets to Troas, he doesn't find Titus there. What's the big deal, Paul? Well, Paul was expecting that Titus would carry news from Corinth. Titus would carry news about how the church in Corinth had received his letter. In fact, in chapter number 7, Paul speaks of how he was longing for them, how he was longing to hear from them. Look, Paul was bonded to these people by love. Hallelujah. He was bonded to these people by love. He wanted to hear about them. I mean, it's very sad that our version of leadership in, in, in Africa and probably many places is a, a version of, of leadership that says that the leader is the boss and then everybody else just follows. Mm -mm. Paul loves these people. Paul cares for these people. Paul wants to hear from these people, wants to hear what has transpired. And notice too, it's not just about the news about the church in Corinth. It's also about Titus. I'm sure he, he, he wants to see Titus. Titus was one of Paul's co-workers. He wants to see him. He wants to hear how, how he has traveled, how things are going on with him. Friend, listen. 
That's the kind of people you need in your life. The kind of people who want to see, who want to know what is going on in your life. The kind of people who actually care what is going on in your life. Do you know we usually say, we do our greeting, hi, how are you? And that's one of the lies that we, we tell, isn't it? Probably the first lie of the day is, I'm doing fine, how are you doing? In the first place, the person who was asking you, how are you, really didn't want to know all your problems. How are you? We had no food today, man. We, we need money. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the landlord said he's going to come. I haven't paid my rent. Um, I was expecting some money from my friend. Said he was going to send me. But guess what? He's decided to buy a phone. I, 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 and then they, they tell you this whole thing. You're like, no, but I, I, I didn't sign up for all that. Well, you shouldn't have asked, how are you? <laughs> Because how I am, that's how I am. <laughs> Isn't it? And so we lie to each other. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. You are not fine. You still haven't paid your rent. You're not fine. You haven't paid your rent. You're not fine. You don't have food at home. You're not fine. Your girlfriend just broke up with you and went for your best friend. You can't be fine. <laughs> Listen, this world has a lot of fakeness in it, isn't it? And we just need some people around us that will, will, will be with us and truly, you know, love us and care for us, isn't it? You see, that's what the church is meant to be. The church is a family where we care for each other, where we find out what's going on. If you're going to win, you need brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers that will help you along. Notice I said brothers and sisters. And I said mothers and fathers. Because the areas of your life, especially you young ones, you just need some parental input. And if you don't get the proper parental input, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to end up with the wrong guy, wrong girl. You're going to end up in the wrong career, wasting your time, only finding out after some five years that, oh, I shouldn't have been studying that, I should be studying this. But you see, that's what the church is. That's what the winning team is. It's a family where people care for each other and they love each other. They want to know what's going on. I shouldn't lie to you. I'm really impressed by the Jinsapo sale. Jinsapo sale last week, there was somebody's father who was in hospital. They went to see him. There, was some, there were two people that were sick. They organized and they went to see all those people. In fact, for the person that was sick, that, that, that was at the KCH, they actually went with food on Sunday morning. It's like, wow, that's what I'm talking about. Is it so hard to do, to care? Don't we want to be visited when we're sick? When we're down and out, don't we want that somebody would come and, and just encourage us? Here's the interesting thing. The ones that don't do that are the first ones to say, nobody visited me from Kairos. <laughs> you reap what you sow. Sow love, you reap love. Amen. There's no time to be complaining. No, no, no. Let's just love each other. Let's move on. If you're not able to go there, maybe you're busy or something, you can still send a text. 
oh, look, I can't come. Uh, I, maybe I was going to come, but right now I can't come. So I'm sending you this 2,000 kwacha Airtel money. Please buy something for yourself. Wouldn't that be nice? No, oh, no, we're not thinking like that. We're not thinking like that. I do not know. Maybe it's part of our, I don't know, man. You know, uh, no. Why? No trust. So we have a trust issue in our culture. And as the church of Jesus Christ, as the salt and light, we cannot afford to have a trust issue. It's here where we break that demon amongst ourselves. As we care for each other, as we love each other, that's where we break that thing. And that's why, my friend, the cell is so very important. Because you see, the cell is not about whether you and that person, you flow together, whether you and that person like the very same things. No, no, no. The cell is about, look, we're in the same area, and God has set us together in this vision and church called Kairos. And so there's a plan that we should touch this community around us. And so we come together on the basis that we have been called by God to touch this community. The blood of Christ is the one that brings us together. You know they say blood is thicker than water. What do you think about the blood of Christ? It's the thickest blood, isn't it? That's what binds us together. To win. Some of you are not winning and not moving forward because you're fighting a lone battle. Let me say that again. Some of you are not moving forward in your lives because you're fighting that battle alone. You need people to come around you. You need brothers around you. You need sisters around you. You need mothers and fathers around you. You need people to be with you to help you navigate, to decode, and to be able to move forward. If you do not do that, my friend, you're going to be stuck there. God has set us as a family of love so that we can stand together. Watch the other thing that characterizes God's winning team. It's a faithful team. It's a faithful team. Now, from verse number 14 up until chapter number 7, probably verse number 1, Paul digresses. All this time he's been talking about the tree, the discipline, right? Now he's going to start talking about his ministry. His apostolic ministry. All the way from here up until chapter number 7, verse 1 or so. And many have said that, no, 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 no. This is a different letter. How is it that Paul can start writing that stuff and then he switches altogether and starts writing this? So others have said it's an incession. That the first part was written and then this was added on there. But here's the problem. These people were writing on scrolls not on pages. And so on a scroll, you wrote all the way down. It was one whole parchment thing. Right? And so let nobody lie to you that this is something that was just put into there. No, no, no. Paul is digressing. He does that a lot of times. He starts talking about one thing and then boom, on to another topic. I mean, don't you do that sometimes? Don't you do that? You're talking about this and then your thought structure. Hey, hey, listen. And everybody has to hold themselves because they do that too and wait for you to finish. And then you get back. Okay, I get what you're trying to say. So Paul here has digressed. But watching his digression, what he talks about faithfulness to God. Verse number 14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Now there is Paul thanking God. <laughs> 
I mean, he starts with thanks in the beginning, chapter number one. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here again, he says, oh, we thank God. Right? We thank God because He always leads us in triumphal procession. What's a triumphal procession? It is said that Roman emperors, when they won a major battle, here's what they would do. They would enter the city in a procession. And in that procession would be the people that they had conquered. In fact, it would be a time of celebration for, the, for those that are victorious. And for those that were vanquished, a time of humiliation. And there will also be sacrifices given, the burning of, 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 of animal sacrifices. And there would be incense that would be lit. So that the stench of the burning animals would not be smelled as much. And so here is what Paul is saying. Oh, thanks be to God. God, that he leads us in a triumphal procession. God is the one who has conquered. And at the front is Jesus the general who has brought the conquering. And guess what? Paul is, though, is one of those people that have been captured. Hallelujah. See, you and I need to start thinking the proper way about our faith. You see, we, our faith is in a sense an upside down faith in the eyes of the world. Our winning is dying. What does the world say? You die, you lose. No? I mean, the cross is our victory. We glory in the cross. Guess what? Our Savior, our hero died. But, oh, no, that's not a hero. A hero dies. No, we want a hero to live on. Rumble never dies. John Rumble never dies. If John Rumble does, that's the end of the series, man. Hmm? How, can, how can you have your hero die? Jack Bauer died? No, 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 no. There's, there's 24 something else that's come up again. What's it again? 24 what? Reloaded? Legacy. You see all you're watching. <laughs> but it's an upside kingdom. You get it? It's an upside kingdom. That which seems to be victory in the world for us is actually defeat. That which is defeat in the world for us is actually a victory. And so Paul, he's putting himself here as one of those conquered people in the triumphal procession. And he says we are like the aroma. Remember again, there's incense burning. We are the fragrance. Look, look, look with me again. Verse number 16, verse number 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So as the incense is being smelled to those that are being saved and to those that are perishing, we are the aroma of Christ. Now watch how it turns out. It says verse number 17. I'm sorry, verse number 16. To one a fragrance from death to death. To the other fragrance from life to life. So remember, there are two kinds of people here. And the first ones are the ones that are being saved. The, he is an aroma of life, of life to life. To those that are perishing, they're still perishing. In fact, the deeds that they're doing are making them to perish and perish and perish and perish even more. To those that are perishing, we have the aroma of death from death to death. In other words, Paul is saying... God uses us in this triumphal procession where we have been conquered. God uses us, our lives, our ministries, they become an aroma. When you walk into that office and you're a born again believer, you are an aroma. 
For somebody, they're saying life to life. For somebody, they're saying, hey man, this is perishing, my perishing. Do you know some people, just you're showing up, they, they, get, they get uncomfortable. Just because you've shown up, just because you're there, they get uncomfortable because, you know, that is one of those born again guys. What are they going to say to us? And they already are fearful. They sense that light has come and they're in the darkness. And if they do not watch out, they will end up in perpetual darkness. And so God gives us the victory, leads a triumphal procession, and God's used, and God uses us in his declaring his victory so that we are the fragrance, we are the aroma. Watch, it says, verse number 16 at the end, who is sufficient for these things? Now he's basically saying, obviously we're not sufficient. Obviously it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. Listen, it is God who works in you to do and to will that which is good. It is God who works in you to do and to will that which is good. It's not something that you, you, you come up with yourself. Listen, if God did not hold his, 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 uh, his people to, if he did not hold them and help them to do what they've been called to do, we would never be able to do it. Only God is sufficient for these things. See, this calls for a humility, isn't it? Because it means that the things that I do for the kingdom are not things that I do by myself or in my own power. They're things that are done by His power. He's the one who is sufficient. And then Paul now turns to showing what faithfulness is. Tends to show or, or, or turns to showing what a faithful servant is. Yes, it's talking, he's talking about himself and his apostolic ministry, but wait a minute, we also have been called like him, isn't it? We also have been called that we should go out into the world. That great commission in Matthew chapter number 28 is also our commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey all that Jesus has taught. It's also part of our ministry, isn't it? So watch now what he says about faithful ministry. Verse number 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. We are not like so many peddlers of, God, of God's word. A peddler, the word used for peddler, is actually, came, it came from a word used of a retailer. Somebody who buys things on wholesale and sells them on retail. Right? And in the Greek language, that was a negative word because it was taken that this person that has bought from there and is now reselling is reselling at an exorbitant price. In other words, he's merchandising. He's selling. And Paul, he says, we're not like so many sellers of God's word. Do you know people are selling God's word? If you want healing, there's blue water for you here. And this blue water will only cost you for a love offering of 20,000 kwacha. You want a job? Red water. For a love offering of 50,000 kwacha and probably your first salary when you get the job. Do you know people are doing these things, right? Jesus says freely you have received freely. In fact, go read Matthew chapter number 10. He says, don't carry two clothes with you. Go as you are. 
What you need, you're going to find. Because a, wor a worker is worth of his wages. Oh, but I tell you today, there's the merchandising of the word of God, isn't it? And in our greed, that's what we want too. We want the prosperous preacher, isn't it? If the preacher is prosperous, it means I'm going to get prosperous. In fact, I'm going to pray to the God of the preacher. So I'm going to get prosperous. I mean, you've heard of that, isn't it? Right? Oh, I pray to the God of Felix because he's rich. And so I want to be rich like that. Our greed has made us to follow preachers of greed. Hallelujah. Oh, pastor, you're just saying that because you're just broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> it's okay. But here's the truth of the matter. We don't peddle the word of God. It's free of charge. It is free of charge. The healing, free of charge. Everything, free of charge. Faithful ministry will not peddle the word of God. Oh, you see it. So there's the preacher alighting the steps or going up the steps. And guess what the women have done? They've put their zitenges and courts and whatever. They put it down there and so that the man of God can walk on the courts. We men of God better watch out. Because you see, it's not about us. It's about God. And it's a very narrow line between worshiping God and worshiping a man. Very narrow line. We can very easily turn, boom, this way. And we're now in the realm of worshiping people. And turn a little bit this way. Now we really are worshiping God. So he says, no, no, no. We're not like so many peddlers of God's word. Watch what else he says. But as men of sincerity. says we are people of pure motives. Now the word sincerity is actually tested by the sun. Literally. That's what it means. Tested by the sun. In other words, take that thing and put it in the sun and you see it's true light. I mean, you see it's true form, isn't it? He says, no, 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 we are men of, of sincerity. Do you know, friend, as you're moving from Kairos and you're going to join that other church because we're so cold and we don't heal anybody, may you go to a person of sincerity. May you go to somebody that when the scrutiny is put in the sun, you find that, yes, this person has a pure motive. But what do we want? We're just taken up by gifting, isn't it? Look, this is not about gifting here. This is not about how many people he has healed. No, this is about his character, his life. You see, God is more interested in character than in your, in your charisma, than in your gifting. And when we come at a point, even as a culture, when we come at a point as a culture that we value character more than charisma, we will be a better nation. We will be a better nation. The problem is we value charisma. And so any fool that's going to show up in 2019 and speak eloquently and move us and we get emotional, we're going to say, that's a president, that's a president. Have you heard the way he speaks? Well, that's a cash gator. Because he doesn't have the character for it. You can't trust that person with your money. We as the salt and light have been called to a higher standard. And it is a higher standard that doesn't only happen here. We don't hold it here. We hold it out there in the world too. And that high standard is a standard of, or the standard of sincerity. Pure motives. 
friend, listen. Don't make your faith to be a Sunday faith. Don't make your faith to be just today. May it show up tomorrow at work. May it show up tomorrow in your school. May it show up tomorrow in the way that you deal with other people. May there be sincerity that is you, uh, which is in you. Because when you do that, my friend, you are setting yourself up to be on this winning team. And he says, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So this is who we are. We're commissioned by God. In other words, we're not commissioned by people. Do you know it's so easy to do things to please people? In fact, it's so much easier to do things to please people because people, you see, people clap, people say amen, people celebrate you, isn't it? But God doesn't clap. God doesn't even say he's amen. I mean, not so, in so very obvious ways, isn't it? And so we can, be easily be, we can easily be taken up to think, oh, it's about people. So let me perform. Let me do things so that I please people. Uh-uh. He says, no, no, no. We are as commissioned by God. In that office that you're working in, you are commissioned by God. It's not about pleasing your, or, or pleasing your boss. Uh-uh. It is about pleasing God who has commissioned you there. He has called you to be salt and light in that office, salt and light in that marketplace. That's what he has called you to be. And he expects you that you are going to be faithful. As commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Your faithfulness, first and foremost, is to the God who has sent you. See, you miss this one. You can, be, you can win in the eyes of the world. You miss this one, you can be successful in the eyes of the world, isn't it? After you give that bribe or you got that bribe and you have this nice home and these nice cars and everything is working out okay for you. Sure, in the eyes of the world, the world will say, oh, you're very successful. In the eyes of God, who you are going to meet when you die? Tell your neighbor, you meet God when you die. You'll meet God when you die. In the eyes of God, who you are going to meet when you die, you have done a wrong thing. And you have not won. Friend, listen, for us as believers, do you know what true prosperity and true success, true winning is for us? It's not more money. It can be more money, but it's not more money. It's not more things. It can be more things, but it's not that. No, no, no. It's to do the thing that God has set us to do in the earth. To fulfill the mission of God, the call of God upon our lives. And so that when we die and we come before God, God is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's winning. Winning is not more money. Winning is not looking more beautiful. Winning is not having things. Winning is living a life that God would say, yes, you have pursued my purpose and my destiny in the earth. And so that even if you die in the process, hallelujah, you have won. Do you think Jesus fell? But did you know, if we were to make a movie about Jesus, and it was an action movie, he would have failed. Because you know, you just killed a hero. And the lesson would be, don't talk too much to people in authority like Pharisees and Sadducees, because they will kill you. That would be the moral of the story. If you see it from the perspective of the world. If you see it from the perspective of God. Hallelujah. 
He fulfilled the purposes of God in the earth. In fact, he died. He obeyed God so much to the point of death. He has conquered. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so that's who we are. And that's who we are called to be. Conquerors. That really win. Because we have been faithful. The winning team is a familial team. Is a faithful team. And what's the first one? It's a what? It's a forgiving team. Hallelujah. Let's stand up one pray again. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.